Good morning, Sprecher Campus of Door Creek Church. How are you? It's good. That music makes me feel like we need a fog machine and lasers and like this epic. Uh, well, it's just me. So uh, if you're new here, I'm Ryan. I'm on the teaching team here at Door Creek Church. Uh, I get to serve as a campus pastor at our Forest Campus as well. And we have been a little busy and it's, it's actually been a while. Sprecher, how you doing? Like for real, it's so good to be with you uh, today. I've missed you. Uh, we've had a crazy few weeks, uh, months, I guess, up in DeForest. Uh, we, we launched with our Christmas services, um, have a couple pictures here, and just want to say thank you. Thank you, guys, for just your incredible generosity and your support, uh, giving, praying, and, and coming, and bringing friends, and all of that. We were expecting like four or 500 people, maybe, for our, our big Christmas services. We had 900 people. We were like pulling chairs out of our offices and, and people standing around and it was, it was a beautiful mess and uh, we felt like we were shot out of a cannon. And when we're uh, grand opening services uh, this coming weekend and we're just so excited for everything God's gonna do in us and through us in the communities around Northern Dane County, so thanks. Also wanna give a shout out to our awesome student ministry families and student ministry teams. Um, if you don't know, we just sent a whole bunch of students to districts and so I just want to ask, like, let's, let's pray. Let's pray that God uh, just engages with our students. It's such a critical time of life uh, over this weekend as they're experiencing great teaching and great fellowship. And parents, we just love, as a church, we love to partner with you. Uh, this, this, we need each other. Uh, and so it's, it's our privilege to partner with you in every stage of your child's uh, development. And so let's, let's be praying for our students. Well, we're kicking off a new series today. It's called Roadblocks. And the main idea is this, is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, young or old, light skin or dark skin, rich or poor, near or far, that you will encounter, we encounter these difficulties, these roadblocks, things like, like fear and shame and hurt and anger and these things that can be incredibly devastating. I mean, we have probably all seen the havoc that these kinds of things can create in a person's life, sometimes decades of life wasted, tangled up in these things, chasing this remedy and that remedy. But our, our claim is this, our claim is that Jesus gives us a way forward. That, that his cross and his resurrection gives us the power to, to move through these roadblocks. And actually what he does, more than just moving through them, what he does is he takes those very things that could destroy us, that should be the end, and he turns them into glorious, joyful things that deepen us and mature us and grow us into the image of himself. So we're starting out with fear the roadblock of fear. And I, I just want to say, like, I am in this room the least qualified person to be preaching about fear right now. I think most pastors are, but I, I feel that that is very much a truth uh, for me. Uh, so this has been just an incredible learning experience, praying through this, letting the Holy Spirit do some work in me through this and preparing, and I hope that it is for you as well. So let's open up to the book of Deuteronomy 
chapter one. Deuteronomy is in your Old Testament in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can get one on your phone or your iPad or whatever you brought. We also have um, Bibles in the back. You can go ahead and grab one. We're not gonna have the words up here. We wanna dig into the Bible together. So Deuteronomy chapter one. Uh, It's the fifth book in the Old Testament. While you're finding that place, I just wanna get you kind of caught up to what's going on at this point uh, in the story. So so humans have rejected God in the garden. You can read about that in Genesis chapter three. But God didn't abandon humans to their fate. So what he did is he chose this person named Abraham and he said, out of you, Abraham, I'm I'm gonna create a new kind of family, a new kind of humanity. I'm gonna bring you into this land where you're gonna be able to grow and flourish. And what I want you to do, Abraham, is I want you to reflect who I am out into the world so that people who have rejected me will be drawn to me. That was God's plan. So Abraham's family started to grow and they weren't in that promised land yet, that land of Canaan. Uh, And before they could get there, they were enslaved and overpowered by Egypt, which at the time was the world power, the dominant world power. And 400 years went by and the Israelites, Abraham's family, were this oppressed, persecuted people. And so they cried out to God. And God sent Moses, just a regular person, to go and bring them out of Egypt and he delivered them miraculously. You've seen the movie, right? He delivered them miraculously, brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness and a couple months later, they're at the border of this promised land that they've been waiting for centuries to occupy. And then something strange happens. You might know this story, it's in the book of Numbers. Uh, So they sent out some scouts basically into the land to just check it out, find out which route to take. Uh, And what they found was the land was amazing. They brought back this huge cluster of grapes and probably other stuff too. This is really fertile land, right? But they also found giants. And they found cities that were incredibly fortified. Like they, it just wasn't an empty land that they were supposed to move into. Like there were people there. God, did you know that? There are people here. And so they panicked. And they said, no, we can't do this. We don't have the resources or the military strength to do this. This is nuts. We should have stayed in Egypt. And so God basically gave them what they wanted. Said, okay, you can go back into the wilderness We're gonna let this generation who can't come to terms with my power, uh, we're gonna let that generation die off and we're gonna let a new generation rise up that, that trusts me and depends on me. And so 40 years later, they're back to the border of the promised land and Moses is about to pass away and this is his last sermon to his people. So he's recounting everything they had gone through to teach them Something. So this, this is Moses preaching. So we're going to start in verse 19. It says, Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, You have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God is giving, has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then 
all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, get this, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. So in teaching a message about fear, there are literally hundreds of places we could go in the Bible. But I like this because this tells us a story. It tells us a story about what fear is and what it does. And I think it's a story that we can relate to. And what it tells us about fear is that fear is, is just 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond. 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. So what's fear? Well, psychologists tell us that fear is this natural emotion. It's a survival mechanism. And here's how it works. So I'm walking along uh, our neighborhood with one of our kids and suddenly out of like the yard of our, one of our neighbors, this big dog jumps up, just ferociously barking, right? So without even thinking, what happens in me? Well, I get this surge of adrenaline and it gives me more strength and speed, you know, that I, this like $6 million man moment, like do, 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 do. And, and without thinking, I, I like put one of my kids like behind me and I put my arm up in defense. And I'm so focused on the danger that's presented itself that I fail to recognize that there's a chain link fence keeping the dog in that yard. So researchers have, have determined that there's this process to fear and it happens every day, multiple times a day in every single one of us. So first there's this, um, there's a perceived threat and it triggers a response deep inside our brains. There's this uh, part of our brains, it's called the amygdala and that sends a signal to our autonomic system, which gives us that surge of energy, that surge of adrenaline, that's the flight or fight um, response. And it really is beautifully designed. It keeps us alive. And so it's super interesting. You can actually see this process rolling out in the story we just read, right? So spies, they go into the land and what do they encounter? Giants, or at least very large people, the Anakites. So the Anakites, uh, scholars say, are the they're this unusually large people that were probably the ancestors of Goliath, who David fights much later in Israel's history. They see these fortified cities with, with these giant walls. They see military technology vastly superior to the own, and, and they're like, you know, we don't we don't have siege equipment. Well, these are professional 
militaries. You know, the, these people are, are raised in warfare from childhood and, and we're just desert nomads, brick makers. We don't, we're not trained for this, right? And so they start to, they start to think about this. And, and so fear of the dog behind the fence, like that's normal, but it's also momentary because, I mean, there's no real danger there, right? And maybe next time when I go for a walk, I'm just gonna walk on the other side of the street. But fear becomes much, much more powerful and consuming. It becomes a roadblock when we realize that the threat is real, that there is no fence, that we are in actual danger and we don't have the resources to match it. This is when fear becomes dread and terror and panic. You know what I'm talking about. So I remember really well the day I was at work in my, this was like 10 years ago, my wife called me and she said, the doctor thinks that Silas, so Silas is our firstborn, he was one year old at the time, the doctor thinks that Silas has cerebral palsy. And I'm like, what? What's cerebral palsy, right? And my heart melted. And I had all these questions like, okay, what is this thing? How is it going to affect my son? Is he going to live? Is he going to live out his life in a wheelchair? Will he thrive? We, I don't have money for wheelchairs and, and special equipment. And, and this was a roadblock I was not prepared to face. And many of you have had that moment. Now, what I didn't know at the time was how profoundly God was going to use my son's cerebral palsy in our lives to shape us and deepen us and grow us and create beauty. I didn't know that. But at the time, I was sitting there and all I knew was there was no fence. This cold, like, like ice was just running down the back of my head, shaking. I didn't know what to do. And as, as a pastor, I've sat with so many people with similar stories. Parents of young children who have reoccurring nightmares and there's just nothing they can do to stop it. An older gentleman recently who was, was panicked because he was told, he just went in for a checkup and he was told, you have four months to live because you have cancer in your esophagus. A friend, a woman who uh, was divorced and then started having panic attacks. A father whose daughter went off to college and he stopped sleeping well because he was so worried for her safety and her well-being. A friend who's battled through cancer and made it and she's fine, but every day she, she's afraid of dying. So just a few things researchers tell us about fear. Fear can be set off by the simplest things. You know, sometimes there's, there's not a big trigger event anymore. Sometimes all it is is just past pain. It's pain from a certain situation or a certain type of person that we carry with us and then we, when we encounter that, we encounter our roadblock of fear. Fear makes us afraid of what hasn't even happened yet. Because when we're afraid, our imaginations it's like they get stuck in this what if scenario thinking. 
worst case scenario thinking. Also tells us that fear, fear makes everything scarier. So when we feel afraid, even non-threatening things become a threat because fear has this amplifying effect. Psychologists call this potentiation. It's like the person who's afraid of flying and you've sat next to this person and, and you, suddenly the, the pilot's like, turbulence is coming and, you're, and they're like, oh. And there's this little bump and they just, you know, you've seen that, that person? And we can see all this happening in our story. So the Israelites, they encounter these, these cities with walls and they're like, the walls go up to the sky. You're like, really? They don't, no, they don't. But that's the way it felt for them. And fear, again, it's, it's 10% what happens to us, 90% how we, res- we respond. And fear triggers this powerful emotional response. And at first, at first it's automatic. And psychologists will tell us that you've got about 90 seconds where what's happening in your brain and in your body is a biochemical and you have nothing, to, no, nothing you can do to control it. About a minute and a half. But after that 90 seconds passes, we have a choice. We can choose what we do with our fear. Am I gonna face this fear head on? Am I gonna control my response? Or am I gonna, am I gonna let the fear in? Am I gonna let that dictate my reality? And what we are supposed to notice in this story we just read is the tragedy of how Israel responded to the threat. Because what should have happened here What should have happened is they should have gone, you know what, there are giants, there are big cities. A couple months ago, God just freed us from the Egyptians and we did nothing to contribute to that victory. Like he totally did that. He's led us through wilderness and there's this fire and there's this cloud that was guiding them every single day and God was literally physically in that space. It was the holiest physical space on the planet and that was there but they didn't think about that they gave in they they invited this fear said they were unwilling to go up they grumbled in their tents and they the conclusion they came to was just mind-blowing it's the conclusion they came to was the lord hates us as, as crazy as it is i think every one of us if we're honest we've we've come to that conclusion oh, god doesn't care about me doesn't care about what I'm dealing with. I'm, I'm too small, it's too insignificant. There's nothing he can do, maybe spiritually, but not actually. Fear makes us lose our minds. It starts as a legitimate threat to our safety and to our well-being, but by responding this way, we make it a threat against our identity. We do that. A threat against our very personhood. Because the way God designed fear to work, it's supposed to be kind of like a thunderstorm that rolls through and is loud and there's lightning and torrential rain, but then it passes. The clouds part, the sun comes up, and, and we look around and, and everything has come to life because of the storm. But this deeper level fear, this anxiety that we choose to give into, it's more like a cold drizzle that never goes away and the sun never comes out. And we become restless and detached, anxious, 
We, have, we develop sleeplessness. This abiding fear is something that the Bible calls a spirit of fear. And what it does is biologically, it means that our autonomic system is always on. We're always experiencing that fight or flight response. And that creates ulcers. It creates heart problems. It, it literally eats us from the inside. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this preacher in Germany uh, right at the time that Hitler was coming into power. And he, he preached an incredible sermon on fear. You can find it on the internet. I, it's actually not very long. Maybe we should take a lesson from him. Anyway, uh, it, it's really, really good. But I'm just going to read a, a portion to you. It says, it says, fear is somehow or other the arch enemy itself. It crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insides until their resistance and strength are spent and they suddenly break down. Fear, get this, takes away a person's humanity. This is not what the creature made by God looks like. This, this person belongs to the devil, this enslaved, broken down, sick creature. I've been there. After that phone call about my son, I felt like I was staring into the face of naked fear. And in, in those few days, a million platitudes, a hundred sermons, and all of the scientific explanation of what was going on weren't going to do a thing to lift me out of that pit. What I needed more than a distraction or comfort or a platitude or a Bible verse or a pat on the back is I needed a savior. I needed someone to step into my horror and pull me out. Through that season of our lives, what I discovered is this. The God who rescued his people in Israel from slavery in Egypt is able to rescue us from slavery to fear. He is able. Romans 8.15 says, the spirit you received, he's talking to believers, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Fear enslaves us. God's remedy is to bring us into his family, into his inner circle. And he rescues us from fear, but how? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us three things, power, love, and self-discipline. Let's say those three things together. Power, love, and self-discipline. And so here's the crazy thing, you guys. This is like a New Testament letter written a, uh, a long time after uh, Moses' sermon. But if we actually go back and look, those three things are, are embedded in this story. So let's check it out. We're gonna go back to Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 29. This is Moses, and he says, Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Now, you may be thinking, like, well, they were kind of legitimately terrified and afraid. Like, I would have been, and, and you're right. You're right. Something in us wants to rise to their defense. But notice that what Moses did not say is do not feel terrified. He didn't say do not feel afraid. 
And here's what this means. It means that we can feel fear, but not be fearful. We can feel terrified, but not be terrified. Huge difference. Let's go on, verse 30. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Three things God provided to Israel and to us in our fight against not the enemies, not the giants, because the real enemy is our fear. Three things. Number one is power. He will fight for us. So if you read examples of the military uh, victories of Israel in the Old Testament, it's kind of a laughable account. It's very different from uh, reading histories of military victories from other, uh, other societies, like the Assyrians. So there's, n- there's really like very little they actually did. So um, this might be familiar to you. So Jericho, remember that? So what did Israel actually do to win in that battle? They walked and they played instruments, like trumpets. I, I don't know why I have a saxophone in my hands, but it, you know, that's all they did, and the walls came down, right? So then there's, there's Gideon. Uh, so Gideon is part of the weakest family, which is part of the weakest and smallest tribe in Israel, and he's hiding in a, in a pit, and God finds him and says, yeah, I want you to gather 300 guys, and I want you to take out the Midianites, an army. Oh yeah, and no weapons, just use clay pots and torches. That's what he did. Hezekiah. So you can actually read about this account. Uh, in, it's, for us, it's in 2 Kings. You can read the Assyrian version of the account. Uh, just look it up online. It's, it's written out there. It's really amazing. Sennacherib uh, is leading the most powerful civilization at the time against Hezekiah, who's holed up in Jerusalem. Uh, There's an army of like almost 200,000 soldiers with siege equipment. And Hezekiah prays at night, wakes up, and there are almost 100,000 Assyrian soldiers dead on the ground outside, and Sennacherib has fleed back to his home where he's later killed by his own son. Like, it's almost as if what God is trying to do here is trying to say, I want to take the weakest, most pathetic people and I want to put them against the most powerful people, the most powerful enemies, just to show that I am the ruler of the earth and that I stand for the oppressed and the downtrodden and the weak and the exploited. That's what God's about. And every, every nation, every army in, in human history has always invoked some kind of God or some kind of ideology in their battles and they said, we're fighting for our God. We're fighting for this value. But God God is very different. He says, no, I'm gonna fight for you. Don't fight. I'm gonna fight for you. And before we can do battle with our anxiety and our fear of job loss and sickness and just getting old, we need a champion who's already defeated our worst enemies 
the enemies that we could never, ever defeat. Death, hopelessness, and evil. And that's what we have in Jesus. John 16, 33 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. On the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus has defeated our enemies. So he gives us power. He also gives us love, which means that he is with us. So God hadn't just given Israel this powerful deliverance, he'd also given them his very presence. So Moses was talking about, like, the Lord your God has carried you as a father carries his son all the way through the wilderness. And look, there's, there's that pillar of cloud and fire, which, which uh, when you read about cloud and fire in the Bible, what it always means is, is that God is there. It's God's glorious presence. Like he was actually there with them, protecting them, guiding them. And the command to not fear appears hundreds of times in the Bible and almost every time it's followed by, I am with you. When one of my kids has a nightmare, they wake up and it's dark and there are probably monsters that are gonna grab them. But they know, they know if, if they could just cross the abyss of their terror, this chasm, which is really only about 15 feet from their bedroom to mine, if they could just cross that and find daddy, that daddy would wrap their arms around them and keep them safe. And, and what's going on with that? Well, researchers are actually learning a lot about this. So Oxycontin is released in us when we're close to a person that we love and we trust deeply. So here's the amazing thing. Researchers have, are discovering that, that this kind of relationship actually shuts down the fight or flight response in us. Actually stops it. And so what psychologists are telling people is the most important thing you can do in that moment of terror is bring it into a relational context. And when we're afraid, what this means is we have to cross the gauntlet of our own fear and we need to run to our Father. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, belief in Jesus, what it does is it gives us full access to the kindness and the strength of God wherever we are. And, and our argument here is that God's presence in the cloud, in the fire, that by the spirit of Christ, it actually indwells us. It's not a different presence, it's the same presence that's inside of us all the time for people who follow Christ. So power, love, last one is self-discipline. So self-discipline just means in that moment of terror, just stop, time out, think, So I heard a preacher say that uh, human beings are equipped with this really sophisticated video editing technology uh, in our minds. 
And so this software, what it does is, is we use it to determine what we remember when we look back on our history. So think back to 2018, okay? What is on the highlight reel of 2018 for you? Are you focusing on what God has done? Or are you focusing on the objects of your fear? Like we control that. We have a choice and our choice matters. Our choice is powerful. I mean, what if the Israelites in, in this moment, what if they chose to focus on the fact that God had already delivered them from Egypt, a, a nation and a military far more powerful than what they were about to face? What if they chose to focus and, and, and practice and rehearse the fact that God had guided them through the desert, that God was with them? I think the story would have ended really differently. So self-discipline, all it means is that we, we edit our video to reflect the right highlights. So, okay, let's, let's just get practical. Um, so I want to leave you just with a few things that you can do, if you're dealing with fear, that you can do today. First, name your fears. Name your fears. So when I was five, I remember I woke up in the middle of the night, it was dark, and there was, uh, I saw this dark soldier in my room. No joke. It, it was this dude like this, and I uh, had a helmet on and a big, huge gun. He wasn't looking at me, but I knew, I knew if I made a sound that he would turn and blow me away. But I was terrified, so I, I had to call out. So I called out to my dad, and my dad ran in and turned on the light, and it was a weightlifting bench. Because I lifted weights when I was five? Nope, nope, I don't know why that was there, but it was there. <laughs> and it's, it's counterintuitive. It's like really counterintuitive. But in that moment of, of fear, we have to look our fear in the face. This means we actually need to stop, and, and just for a moment, we need to consider what is the worst that can happen I'm not trying to be morbid. This doesn't make sense, but it, it's a really, really powerful question. What's the worst that can happen? Not trying to dwell on it, but to name it. Because when we name it, we bring it into the light and we see it for what it really is. So, what did this mean for us with Silas? We didn't know what, what cerebral palsy meant at first. I had no idea. But I had to stop and ask, okay, what is the worst that can happen? Like, what I was really trying to drill down to is, what am I actually afraid of? There's all this unknown, but what was actually triggering the fear in me? And it came down to this. I'm afraid my son is going to die. named it. And if you name your fear and you, sh you bring it into the light, something shifts. And so just without, without really planning this, just kind of the next part and the next step you can take is you can find Jesus in the dark. Find Jesus in the dark. And, and what that means is, is okay, I have this fear, Jesus, can you relate to this? Can you relate 
to the fear. God, can you relate to the fear of your son dying? Yes, he can. Not only can he relate to it, but he walked through the horror of his own son tortured and crucified on a cross. Not not because of anything he had done. He could have floated above our fear and been, like, kept us at arm's distance and rescued us that way, but he chose to rescue us by, being, by, by absorbing our worst horror. And that is where the gospel, the good news is for us when we face fear. That there is not a single one of our terrors or our horrors that Jesus has not already faced and overcome. And I guarantee you, whether it's financial stress, whether it's fear of a disease, whether it's fear of of failing as a parent or in your job or whatever it is, there is not a single horror that you can name that Jesus has not already faced and overcome and he will meet you there and he will be with you there and he will hold you there. And so all we need to do then is we have to let go of all the false things that we have buffered ourselves with, the false securities, the false courage, the things that we think are gonna keep us safe. We have to repent of those and let them go and cling only to Jesus. And by the way, my son does have cerebral palsy. He's 11 years old, he's in fifth grade, he's bright. I I wouldn't, and my wife, we wouldn't trade this journey for anything. We wouldn't change him. And what began with fear has led to more joy than we could have ever imagined. It's because of the gospel. So the last thing, the last thing is we need to let fear show us what or who we really worship. So David Foster Wallace, he's, he's a secular author. He's passed away now. But he wrote this, and I think it's just really brilliant. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And then he goes on to say that pretty much anything we worship that's not God is actually gonna eat us alive. It's gonna eat us alive. So let me just ask you the question, what is eating you alive? Because when you boil fear down, all it really is 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 a response to power. And misdirected fear, like when we're afraid of our fear, what we're doing is we're giving that fear power and authority that it should not have over our life because it is not God. And then we also give ourselves to false security and we think if we could just surround ourselves, make ourselves safe, that that is gonna be what saves us, but that enslaves us, that eats us alive. So God calls us to fear him And fearing him doesn't mean that he's going to overwhelm us with terror. What it means is he's going to protect us and deliver us from terror. It means that we bring every other thing that we fear into its rightful place before and under God Almighty. And Proverbs tells us that only when we can fear God will we have actual wisdom, real wisdom. So Silas's cerebral palsy, it doesn't define him. Sure, it's a part of him. It's a part of our life but he's made in the image of God. Your your insecurities, 
They don't define you. God wants to define you and give you dignity and courage. Your disease, your financial situation, your, the, the relationship that you have so much conflict in that the thought of actually breaking the ice and talking about it fills you with dread, that does not define you and doesn't define your family. So we need to let God define us. Let's pray. Father, you have invited us into freedom, into adoption, into your family. You've invited us to let go of our fears and all of the anxieties that we carry, thinking that by doing these things that that's going to save us. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to do a work right now as we move into a time of sharing communion. I pray that you would move in us, that we would respond to you, that we would believe in you, that we would trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.